This evening I want to talk about taking refuge in the Buddha. I think probably most of you are familiar with the teaching of the Triple Gem, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, uh, which is really um, a commitment to this practice. And um, they're beautiful teachings. And when I think about the, the taking refuge, I always think about putting on a a warm overcoat on a really cold day. It's just so comfortable and um, I feel, you know, protected and um, it just feels good. It's like when you put that piece of clothing on that's just comfy, comfy as anything. And that's that's what, for me, the this teaching is about. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the Dharma um, and then last week I touched a little bit on the Sangha. Did I mention it's the Triple Gem is taking, yeah, I did, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And last week I touched a little bit on the Sangha. And so today I'm talking about taking refuge in the Buddha. And um, re taking refuge, it's, it's actually mentioned in the suttas about taking refuge. And it's a, it's, um, it means in, in Buddhist India, it means or it meant kind of like proclaiming one's allegiance to a patron who would then protect you um, in some way, shape or form, whatever it is. I often think about medieval um, England or feudal, the feudal medieval, the Middle Ages with the feudal lords where these people toiled in the, the, um, the whatever the monarch, the local um, um, duke or earl or prince or king would uh, protect them against anything and so that kind of a thing but it's a little bit different um, uh, in this way and taking refuge in the Buddha is actually um, taking refuge in not taking refuge in the Buddha as a person because obviously Buddha the Buddha was born as Siddhartha Gautama but instead it means taking refuge in the fact of his awakening and placing trust in the belief that he was able to awaken to the truth and that he did so by developing particular qualities that we too can develop and that the truths to which he awoke provide the best perspective for the conduct of our life. And I, this is some of a lot of the stuff I got from Bhikkhu Bodhi who is... Um, who's so wise, who's such a, such a wise teacher. And um, so you're not taking refuge in a, a, a deity. The Buddha is not a deity. He's absolutely a human being. However, we're taking refuge in the idea that if this human being could awaken and have such clarity around life, the universe, and everything that we could too. And in fact, the Buddha said that. He said, I don't teach, I would not teach this if, I, if you could not do this. If he didn't have faith that we could, we could learn just as he did, then he said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste my time. And so what I want to do is talk a little bit about the life of the Buddha because it's really the life of his awakening. It's his path to liberation and it's, it, it, you know, it's not, not, none of, not all of us, well, probably none of us have the same experience he did, but he had a very human experience. He was born, the, usually it's said he was born the son of a king, that he's a prince, but he was more, more likely the son of a clan chief, um, 
the Sakyans in um, that area of uh, southern southern Nepal um, were not um, kingdoms. They were more clans. And so he was the son of a clan chief who took great pains to make sure that his son Siddhartha Gautama was protected from any discomfort whatsoever. I mean, the, the, the story of the Buddha's life is so entwined in mytholo mythological um, stories about it. Um, the, the years since the Buddha lived, 2,600 years ago, there's uh, a lot of mythology that has grown up. But um, he lived well protected from, um, the story goes, he lived very well protected and didn't see the seedier side of life. But even with all this um, um, having the living the good life all the time, when he was in his late 20s, he became dissatisfied and introspective, and he started wondering about the meaning of life. Is this all there is? And then the story of the, um, the, the messengers, which is not in the suttas, I think it's later, but where that he went out with one of his... Um, he went out with one of his... Um, attendants and saw a sick person, um, uh, an old person, and a corpse, and said, what is that, and will that happen to me? And um, his attendant said, absolutely, it will. And so there was this awakening to the nature of birth and sickness and death. And in one of the suttas, it says, before my awakening, I was subject to birth, aging, sickness, and death. But I sought out also what was what was um, subject to birth, aging, sickness, and death. So I was I was um, a human being, but I sought out those things that are also uh, impermanent, and I thought they would make me happy. And he said, instead of doing that, perhaps I should seek out that which is unaging or unailing, aging, ageless, and deathless. That which is not going to end. It's the the, the cessation of craving, the cessation of attachment. So he saw that clinging to um, impermanent, whatever it is, impermanent people, places, things, whatever, was going to end in dissatisfaction because nothing stays the same. And thinking we're going to arrive and be where, we, where we're going to be, like we get this thing done and live happily ever after, is a wonderful recipe for dissatisfaction or, or um, something to that effect. So he said, I know that's not the answer, and I am going to seek out what the answer is, this path to awakening. And so he left his home, his wife, his newborn child, lovely of him, and he sought out teachers. And, and his journey took him to a couple of wise men who were teaching at that time, and they were teaching meditation practice, primarily concentration practice, and, and, and Siddhartha Gautama became so adept at it that they said, you are now our peer. And he said, well, this is really good, but it's, it's, there's still that attachment. So he went to the other end of the spectrum, and he um, hooked up with some people practicing asceticism, which is they really um, uh, lived a very harsh life denying denying um, any comfort to the body, thinking that uh, liberation is won by afflicting the body with pain beyond the normal levels of endurance. And he did that for years, eventually just eating, you know, six grains of rice a day or every couple of days, and he was emaciated, absolutely emaciated and close to death. And, he, and after a while he went... 
I don't think this is working either. So he gave that up and started eating again. And, and his compadres who he was with called him a, you know, a turncoat and just kind of left him. Um, but a, a, a woman took um, pity on him and gave him some nourishment. And he, he got healthy again. And he recalled a moment um, when he was young watching his father work. And he recalled the experience of that moment of just being not attached to anything, not, not caught in the future, not caught in the past, and just absolutely in the moment. And he said, that's it. That's what I want to um, find. And so he sat, under the, he sat and committed to sitting until he um, found that awakening, that, that liberation from attachment that he had for a moment but he thought was absolutely possible. And so that's when he sat under the tree, which is now called the Bodhi tree. And um, at the end of the night, he saw, he saw all, as the story goes, he saw all his past lives. And then he saw all the lives of all the people who had ever lived and their rebirths. Um, and then in the last, the last watch of the night, he um, saw the nature of, of suffering and the nature of um, letting go and how freedom is that letting go and um, one of my favorite things that I'm probably going to say a lot is a, a last year when I was on retreat with Bhikkhu Analio and he was talking about the Buddha's he said um, all the Buddha's teachings all of them the massive quantities of things that have been written can be summed up in five letters L-E-T-G-O let go let go and so that's what he saw, and that's what he was able to do. He was absolutely able to release, and he, he became the Buddha, which means the awakened one, the enlightened one. And he, he uh, at, eventually determined to become a teacher, and he spent the next 45 years as a human being walking the earth, an enlightened human being, offering these teachings to others, believing that, this was, as I said before, available to people who were willing to work towards it. And um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, what he is teaching us, you know, what we are waking up to and how we do wake up. Because if we're taking refuge in the Buddha is, is taking refuge not just in this person, but taking refuge in the idea of awakening, what does that actually mean? And the Buddha talked about the clarity that's necessary to, um, um, to be enlightened, to have this liberation. Um, we are stuck in this, this cycle of wanting and not wanting and pushing and pulling and stuck in our stories and our deep, deep conditioning and our bondage to old age and sickness and death and, and not wanting that and how do I live forever and what's the fountain of youth and and blah 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 um, and we're mired in this ignorance, this greed, this hatred, this delusion without seeing. So the really what we have to wake up to, to is the reality of our existence, having this clarity, waking up to the reality of the human condition, which um, can be so scary. It can be so scary. I remember the first time I acknowledged that I too was subject to the, the, the rules of the universe applied to me too. And I thought, no, no, no. If I just get it right, I won't have to experience all this stuff. Um, you know, but his awakening 
is is that example to show us that yeah no we have to walk out of this too i mean he spent years in this pleasure palace and then he spent years in this place of 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 awfulness this you know not eating not taking care of himself living really rough and you know those two extremes until he found the middle way and said okay clarity is not going to either extreme but to just find this place of balance of equipoise of equanimity and really be willing to see the truth of what it is to be willing to feel what's happening what's going on so that's the um that's the clarity that's part of this awakening and another part of this awakening is this um invitation to renunciation to see what we're holding on to and be willing to let it go really be willing to um release what we think will make us happy our best ideas if only then can you get rid of your if only and thens um you know however we define liberation that's what we have to begin to move towards we ha- we can't do anything but start where we are um you know and he ha- and he it says that really we have to um this is what we have to make the journey towards this freedom this liberation this primary purpose of our life that's what the buddha was doing he left home he went into homelessness to seek the meaning and how do i how do i achieve this complete liberation and so whatever that means for us in this moment whether it's total release or just a release from the demons that have been plaguing us in this moment the clarity to see that and the willingness to let go what we our best thinking as they say you know we have to be willing to let go of 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 those things that cause suffering to ourselves and to others we have to be willing we have to be willing because that's the 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 pleasure and the and the success or whatever it is we get is ephemeral it's not lasting but if we can let go and recognize that that stuff is ephemeral then there's an ease that comes there's an ease that arises because we're not stuck on one thing or another and this takes effort this is this these these teachings are all baked into the eightfold path the the clarity of wise view and the the uh, renunciation of wise intention and then effort that's a that's one of the factors of the eightfold path we recognize that this is an undertaking that requires dedication. It's not like we're going to do it some day and not other days. Sometimes I suck at it and other days I'm really kind of tuned in, but I am willing to walk in this direction no matter what. And and you know it takes a while. The Buddha it said lived I don't know how many lives, but eons and eons and eons before he took birth as Siddhartha Gautama and awakened as um the Buddha. So it takes a while. Um so we have to be willing to stay the course. Um it's going to take struggle because some of the things we're attached to I mean, we can be practicing this stuff and if we stay on the path working towards clarity, it's like sometimes we're surprised even after practicing for years and years and years and you're like, "Wow, I had no idea I was so enmeshed in that or held that so that belief so tight." or or was so deeply conditioned by stuff i didn't even remember 
it takes it takes work which I think you all know just sitting for medit meditating for half an hour you recognize that it takes effort um, and the Buddha taught that this is accessible we can all do it as I said um, he wouldn't teach it if he didn't think we could all attain it and he was he was very clear about being a human being not a savior not a deity not any kind of thing just a guy who's, I think it was his cousin or his nephew, tried to kill him and he had a bad back and sometimes he ached and he would ask one of his disciples to teach because it just would hurt too much and he would get annoyed. Like there was, there's one sutta, it's great, he was at uh, some place with some monks and they were squabbling among themselves and he kind of offered some, some suggestions and they just ignored him and he went, fine, and just kind of took off. He's like, I can't be bothered with y'all. Um, so he's a very much a human being, but also not attached, also really, um, and kind and compassionate, um, you know, and, and then he died, which just points to the fact that even he is impermanent. He's, you know, he doesn't live among us, um, forever and ever and ever. So he's gone. Um, so, and, and, um, the teaching, some of the, the characteristics of what the Buddha was teaching is that it's, it's, we are um, on this path and we are doing this ourselves. Not that we're alone because we're taking refuge in the Sangha, but it's up to us to do the work. It's self-reliance. We're not tapped on the head and get the magic pixie dust and we're saved. It's the work. Um, and that one of the, there's a line in the Dhammapada that says, by oneself is evil done, by oneself is one defiled, by oneself is evil left undone, and by oneself is one purified. We're the ones with the choice to move towards liberation or move away from liberation, to choose wisely or to choose less wisely to act skillfully and not causing harm or to act because we're in the grip of this craving we're in the grip of, of delusion and it takes effort to chip away at that delusion so but it's up to us to do the work that's the thing about equanimity that the around the heart practice of equanimity the 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 words that we often use are a person's happiness is dependent upon their actions not on my wishes for them I can't save anyone. No one can save me. I have to do the work. Yeah, you yourself must strive. The Buddha only points the way. And then the other, another thing in, in very much the same way is that it's experiential. You know, you have to find your own way. We're all different human beings. We all have different experiences. We all are on a different path. So ehipasiko. Find your own way. See for yourself what works. It's, um, it has to be understood personally. And I talked a couple of weeks ago about um, Philip Moffat's book, Dances, Dance, Dancing with Life, Dances with Life. Um, and he talks about the four insights in each of the noble truths. You know, it's, we learn the stuff intellectually we go oh suffering oh cause of suffering is clinging okay i get that and then we begin to recognize how that is real in our lives and then as we move through the world experientially 
we kind of we don't react anymore based on our conditioning we um have an appropriate response to everything we don't clutch or cling or push away we are we have clarity we have wisdom we have discernment it's become part of who we are and again because this is such a long journey for each of us sometimes in certain parts of our life we're really wise and clear and in other parts of our lives we're still walking into brick walls and to recognize that it's it it's a process and it takes some time um, one of the famous suttas, the Kalama Sutta, the Buddha was in this one village and the villagers came to him and said, you know, every week it seems like there's another teacher coming through and telling us, this is what you need to believe. Forget all those other people. And, and so they said, what are you going to tell us now? And he said, um, find that, find your own way. You yourselves have to see what is skillful, what is harmful. And do what is skillful and beneficial and not what is harmful. We have to use our own wits. We have to. But, but in conjunction with the teachings of the wise, we don't do this alone. But the more we do it, the more it drops from our head to our hearts and our beings. And we can find our own way. Um, because it's just become, we have reconditioned ourselves to move in a different way than what we used to. And one of the cool things about the teaching and the Buddha's teaching and of his day is it's, um, it's open to everyone. There's a universality about this. He let everyone in. The caste system in India was not as rigid in his day as it is today, but it still existed, and the Brahmins would say that certain people could be um, awakened or certain people were not welcome um, you know, and even today, certain certain lineages say women are probably women are not going to achieve enlightenment. Um, you need to have rebirth as a male, and then you can be enlightened. I mean, that's today, but that's the dogma that has crept into um, the teachings. That's not what the Buddha taught. The Buddha opened it to everyone. He opened it to women. He opened it to outcasts. Um, so there's this beautiful universality for the Dharma. So taking refuge in this, 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 this awakening is open to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are or what you look like or where you come from um, or how you identify. You do this, follow this path, that's the refuge in this awakening. And there's this, finally, that there's this foundation of ethical behavior that's so incredibly important. You know, again, from the Eightfold Path, a wise action and and wise speech, and that we, um, we the precepts, we don't kill, we don't take what's not offered, so we don't steal, we're wise with our sexuality, we're wise with our speech, we, we watch what we ingest, so we're, we don't become heedless and cause harm. So to really have that as a foundation, which is also a great guide, excuse me, to how we move through the world. So that is really what the Buddha spent 45 years teaching and saying, this is how I move through the world. This is what's available to you. Here's how you do it. And when he died, he's like, uh, his disciples were like, no, you can't go. And he's like, I just spent 45 years telling you this stuff. Please tell me you, you paid attention because it's open. It's accessible. It's absolutely accessible. So um, those are the characteristics and, and what the Buddha is offering. And, you know, that's a little bit heady. And what I want to think is bring it into a little bit more into the range of humanity. 
And for me, it's been a place to land. It's been a place to land that regardless of what's going on and all the spinning that has been happening, it feels like this spinning is just ramping up, 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 up in the last few years. It, it's a place to find some, some ease, uh, not, not hiding head in sand, but uh, a balance, a way to hold the world, regardless of what it is. And because that's what the Buddha did. He held the world regardless of what was going on. People liked him. People didn't like him. People were trying to undermine him, trying to kill him. He just, you know, he walked through teaching this, 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 this um, teaching of ethical behavior, wise behavior, love, kindness, compassion. And so it's a place to land. And I love what Lama Rod Owens talked about. He said, you cannot do the work of the world until you have something in the world to hold. We can't do the work of the world until we have something in the world to hold us. And as I mentioned earlier, this the, the refuges are this overcoat that I feel held by. And so taking refuge in the Buddha as well as the Dharma and the Sangha is something to be held by. And when we are held, it allows our hearts to crack open. We don't have to hold on to anything. L-E-T-G-O, let go. You know? um, so f that's, for me, this refuge in the Buddha is like, okay, this guy taught this stuff, he practiced it, and I'm going to trust that it works. And um, I, it's given me a tremendous place to land that I was always looking for the thing. If I, you know, take this class, get this thing. And I always had, I always had dates. I remember going back to when I was a kid with my little diary with the little key. I would like go three weeks in advance and go, okay, today I will be blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, I'd get there and it would not be anywhere near anything that I thought I wanted to be or have accomplished. And, and it's a constant failure, 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 thinking that you needed to achieve something to be something. And instead, it's just like, no, be in the moment and learn a wise and skillful way to respond to each moment. That's what this is without holding on. And then the, with the deeper and deeper practice, you get this ability to just release. I can release a lot more than I ever was able to before. I still have things I'm holding on to, deep, deep things that are just like ah, holding me down, but not as painful at all as life used to be. It used to be so much more challenging because I was always, what's out there? And there's nothing out there. There's, there's birth, death, aging, sickness. That's what's out there. That's still out there, but I'm like, I'm not attached to it anymore. It's, it's such a gift. It's such a relief. And, um, you know, it's a way to hold the world. And somebody the other day when I was talking about this mentioned faith. It's like having faith. Yeah, I trust. I trust that he said this. I started practicing it. I see the changes. I trust that if I keep doing this, I'm going to keep experiencing more and more freedom. Whatever that liberation is, even liberation in the moment, even five minutes of liberation is a lot more than there used to be. So why wouldn't I keep walking in that direction? And then finally, Bhikkhu Bodhi says this about 
the, the Buddha as a refuge. He says, Confidence in the Buddha as our refuge is initially awakened when we contemplate his sublime virtues and his excellent teaching. It grows through our undertaking of the training. At first, our confidence in the Buddha may be hesitant, punctured by doubts and perplexity. But as we apply ourselves to the practice of his path, we find that our defilements gradually lessen, that wholesome qualities increase, and with this comes a growing sense of freedom, peace, and joy. This experience confirms our initial trust, disposing us to advance a few steps further. When at last we see the truth of the Dhamma for ourselves, a, the refuge in Buddha becomes inviolable. Confidence then becomes conviction, the conviction that the Blessed One is the speaker, the proclaimer, the bringer of the good, the giver of the deathless, the, lo the Lord of the Dhamma, the Tathagata. So the more we follow the path, the more it becomes real um, and keeps us going. So that... Uh, is what I have to say about taking refuge in the Dhamma. And um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your kind attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.